I'm so thrilled that you're here. This is the Next Step Community Church, and you are welcome to be here. You're welcome here if you uh, slept in the penthouse across the street, and you're welcome here if you slept on the park bench next door. You are welcome here at the Next Step Community Church. And I'm grateful that you're here. I'm grateful that we get to spend this time with Jesus together. You know, uh, Friday is traditionally known as uh, Black Friday, right? And uh, this is where we go and we spend our money and we use our resources. And so in this Advent season, I thought I'd kick off Advent by talking about money. Is that insane? It is only if you don't realize how much money has a grip on our hearts. So today we're going to talk about your money, and it's exactly what you thought. There's a preacher up there who's going to talk about your money. I'm grateful that we already took the offering. So this is not something, this is, ah, shucks. Let me tell you why I'm grateful that we already took the money, so that you don't think that this sermon is moving up so that I get more of your money. It's not. Listen, the fact is, and this is true, this church gives away far more than what we uh, take in from our congregation. I mean, by like the tens of thousands of dollars. Like we, we feed the hungry, clothe the naked, house the homeless, counsel the bereaved, send to detox the addicted, all in the name and for the fame of Jesus, proclaiming his gospel in everything that we do. So we do that here. So I hope you understand that when I'm talking to you about your money, I'm talking to you about something that I want for you, not something that I want from you. Does that make sense? So I, I was working at a job and I was making more money than I had ever made in my entire life. I was making $25,000 a year, which is more money than I had ever seen in my life. And I was working in this job and I was working like unbelievable hours, like crazy, crazy overtime hours. Just trying to make uh, money and uh, it was a, an opportunity where you know people were going to get cut and I didn't want to get cut so I was just working really really hard doing everything that I could as I worked in this job uh, time passed and I was offered I was offered uh, an incredible position for um, to be the, uh, the super. I was a handyman and I was offered the super's position in like record time. I was like the youngest person offered it. It was great. And so they offered me this position and it was a six figure a year job. Jumped from 25 to about $110,000 a year. I never had dreamed. Now you gotta understand, the last grade that I had graduated at that time was the sixth grade. So I would never see money like this again. I would never have a job like this again. I was scared to lose it. Here's the problem. Just a couple of weeks before, I was praying 
and I, we had started this little Bible study that eventually we called the Brooklyn Lighthouse. I started it with, uh, many of you know, a guy by the name of Ray, his wife Valerie, and my wife Liz. We started this little Bible study, it was amazing. And God was moving and he was doing incredible things and it had grown out of hand and became this thing we called the Brooklyn Lighthouse and we were meeting and God wanted me to do that full time. He didn't want me to be distracted because what would happen is, is I would take homeless people into my house before then, take homeless people into my house, I would sleep with them on the floor. In fact, we still do this here in this church because of that tradition of just taking the homeless. So I would sleep with them on the floor, then I would wake up and we would do this Bible study together. It was such an awful Bible study. It was so terrible. I am certain that I led several people to Islam during this Bible study. It was terrible, right? And so I, I, we would do this Bible study and then we would fake pray. Have you ever fake prayed? Here's fake prayer. When you bow your head and it's real early in the morning, it's like 4.30 in the morning, and it's like, um, and I, you bow your head and you act like you're praying, but you're really napping. Have you ever done this before? I've done this before. And so I was in my fake prayer and we would do that till like 6.30, everybody would go, I would go to work and then come back and we would do it all over again. It was amazing, it was beautiful. It was this like little nugget of gold that God had given us. And then I went on a retreat and God said, hey Edward, I want you to leave this job and I want you to do this. Full time. Now he doesn't do that for everyone. That's not. That's. It, it, it's just, there's not like an MVP or a, a varsity Christian where you leave your job and then you become full time ministry. And and then, then the junior varsity Christian are the people who are still working. That's not true. I'm just telling you what he did in my life. Well, he led me like this, and I was. I was it was through Psalm 121. Psalm 121 said this. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. Now, the way I used to do my devotionals back then is I would paraphrase. I would write the Bible out in my own words to make sure I understood it. It's a great practice. You should do it sometimes. If you read a sentence from the Bible, write it out in your own words, not using the same words of the scriptures, but just using your own words to see if you actually have it. So I did that, and when it came to that point, he will not let your foot slip. I was like, he'll never let you fail. I was like, well, that's not true. That's not my experience. I was like, um, he won't let anything bad happen to you. I was like, that's not true. I know that's not true. And I kept on, and I, kept, I couldn't get that verse. And it, I sensed the Lord leading me to leave my secure job for this thing. It wouldn't be till two or three years later that the church would actually be able to pay me. But God was saying, leave this secure thing, do this. It's like, no way. You are going to let my foot slip. You are going to let me down. There's no way fought with God all night, wrestled with him like Jacob, all night, and then surrendered and just said, okay, I'm not even sure what this not letting my foot slip means. 
I think it means something like he will be with me. It's almost like um, when you walk with your son, when I walk with my kids, when they're small, and, and if you ever held their hands and they trip up and they fall, and your hand automatically jerks. It's like a reflexive action. You don't think about it. It just goes up. I think that's what that means, that he will not, not that you won't trip, not that you won't stumble, but that his hand will be covering your hand, being there with you. Well, I tell you, I tell you that story because and then I went back to the job and I told them that I was going to resign. But before I had the chance to tell him I was going to resign, he, he offered me that six-figure job that we just talked about. And I'm so spiritual because I love Jesus and I want to obey him. I looked him in the eye and I said, let me think about that. Because that was a lot of money. It was a lot of money. And I didn't know how else we were going to be and where else I would ever be able to make that for my family. And I came back and the Lord gave me grace, gave me real grace. Actually, full disclosure, I tried to negotiate with the guy. I said, hey, if I do this, would you still give me a little time to, you know, I have this little Bible study church plant thing that's going on. Would you give me time? He goes, no, 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 it's a 24-7 position. You got to stay on the grounds. I'm like, ah. Thanks, no thanks. And then that Bible study became this thing uh, called the Recovery House of Worship that transformed into what we now know as the Next Step Community Church. And since then, we've been able to plant other churches, and God has been very, very gracious. I got to tell you, though, the idea of trusting God with my money was the scariest thing in the world to me. And I bet I'm not alone in that. I bet the idea of trusting God with your money is the scariest thing in the world to you. And it might not be as dramatic as what I've just shared with you. But God knows when it comes to money, it is the most sensitive subject. It is the most scary subject. And that's why he put the verse that he just, uh, the, the verse that we're going to read together. That's why he put it in the scriptures. Because he wants us to know that He's for us and with us and loves us. Now, I want you to know that today's big idea is I want you to become more generous. I want you to become more generous. I need you to know that on Sunday service, when we collect the offering, we usually collect several hundred dollars a week. Just so you know. We need about five thousand dollars a week to run all the programs that we do for the homeless, the hungry, the we collect several hundred. And so I want us to become more generous. Every one of us, every one of us, finding a penny on the floor to the person who has millions in their account, I want all of us to be more generous. I don't want anybody to exclude themselves from this because God knows that the number one heavyweight contender for your heart is your stuff. He knows that. And so we see here in Luke 12, 32 through 34, Jesus' instruction about money. Would you stand with me as we read this together? Luke 12, 32 through 34. Read it with me on the count of three. One, two, three. So don't be afraid, little flock, 
for it gives your Father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasures for you in heaven. And the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it and no moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. This ends the reading of God's Word. Please have a seat. Monty, we're going to put that in the NIV now. So the scripture that we just read starts off by saying this. Are you ready? It says this. Do not be afraid. Do you know why he says do not be afraid? Because when it comes to the mo- your money, you're very afraid. You're very afraid. I'm very afraid too. And so when it comes to our stuff, Jesus knows that it's the scariest thing. When it comes to our stuff, he knows that it's like the thing that we put our trust in. That's why whenever the lottery gets to a billion dollars and everybody buys a ticket, we all get very excited and very hopeful, right? Why? Because if we had enough money, everything would be all right, we think. If we had our trust is in our money. And so he says, Jesus does, he says, do not be afraid. And then he gives them three ways of looking at God. Jesus gives us three ways of looking at God to help us with the fear that we have. He goes, don't be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Let's look at all those three real quick, okay? So first of all, Jesus refers to us as a little flock. You know what a little flock, a little flock of sheep. You know why the Bible calls us a little flock of sheep? Because it wants to remind us that we have a shepherd, one who watches over us. Now, you do know sheep are primarily defenseless. They they can't uh, fight against any attacking predatory uh, animal. So these sheep, and, and also sheep, are not that bright. They'll, I mean, sheep, if you lead them, they'll walk over a ledge. They're just not that bright. Which is why they make the perfect illustration for us. We will go into harm's way if we did not have a good shepherd to guide us away from the harm. And so he says, Little flock. Why? Because he's our shepherd. He's going to, what does the shepherd do? He'll protect us. He'll guide us. He'll lead us to nourishment where the grass is and where the water is. That's what the shepherd will do. The shepherd will provide. He'll care for. The shepherd will protect. He'll defend. If a beast comes, the shepherd comes between the beast and the flock. That's what a shepherd is. God is a shepherd so you can trust him with your finances. But God is also a father. He says, for your father has been pleased. 
Your father, what's a father? Now, the problem is, is that you and I have had very broken relationships with our father. Isn't that true? And if we get old enough and we actually have kids, they'll have very broken relationships with us as well. And so for whatever we have to go to therapy for, they'll have to go to therapy because we uh, inflicted it on them, right? And so this father, what does a father do? Primarily, a father protects, gives wisdom, provides. So if God was, I mean, if your father loved you perfectly, was always there for you, had uh, given you wisdom that was both perfect and true, if your father had always done everything that he ever did towards you, was it out of a deep act of love for your good, if your father did that, then he would look a lot more like our father in heaven. Your father didn't do that. But that's the kind of father that your father in heaven is. And because he's your father and he knows what's good for you, you can trust him with your finances. Also, it says, for your father has been pleased to give you the what? What's the next word? Kingdom. He's pleased to give you the kingdom. That means we are his subjects. So you see that? God is a shepherd. God is a father. God is a king. We are a flock. We are his children. And we are his subjects. You got it? And so, because of that, God is a king. That means he directs, he guides, he's the one who creates uh, the laws and the systems that we might live under so that we might live for His glory rather than for our own. Now, let me just pause here. If you had a person who was this loving, this caring, this protecting, this kind, this wise, this good to you, wouldn't you want him to guide you and direct you to do with your finances? Think about what you've done with your finances. Think of how you've squandered them. Think about how you, and you go, oh no, I'm very generous, I'm very, okay, okay, maybe. But think about how you've squandered your finances. Think about how you've hoarded your finances. Think about that. Because we all have at one point or another. Think about how you've worried about your finances. Oh no, am I going to have enough? What do I do to get more? What? Wouldn't you want the wisest person in the universe to direct you about your finances? If you had like a Warren Buffett to come next to you and say, hey, here's what you do with your finances and here's how, you would take those suggestions because he knows about money. God is wiser than him. He says, do not be afraid because we're terrified when it comes to the subject of our money. And he calls them all these things to remind them of their relationship with our Trinitarian God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he tells them, he tells them these two things, don't be afraid. And he tells them, hey, I'm your shepherd, I'm your pop, I'm your uh, king. Because of this next thing, he says this. Here's a directive, you ready? Sell your possessions and give to the poor. 
Sell your possessions and give to the poor. You know what that means in the Greek, to sell your possessions and give to the poor? Let me tell you what it means. It means sell your possessions and give to the poor. That's what it means in the original Greek. You go, wait, that can't be what it means. No, 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 it means exactly what it means. Now let's pause for a second. Listen. When it, the Bible speaks to us, the Bible is speaking, it's trying to pluck at the thing that's most important to our hearts. It's trying to address. If this verse causes you anxiety, then God is exposing something to you. If this verse is causing you uh, uh, excuses, like if automatically a bunch of excuses pop up in your head and you're like, yeah, but surely how am I going to feed my kids? And what about my family? And how am I going to take it? And, it? and if all that stuff, if every, anything other than open-handed, God, whatever you want me to do, that's what I want to do. You see, that's what God wants for us with our money. To come to him open-handedly. And so he says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. And I think he says this because nobody is exempt. He doesn't just want the wealthy to be generous. If you've ever said, man, if I ever hit the lottery, then I'll be very generous with the church. You are lying to yourself. If you're not generous to the church, if you're not generous to the Lord, with your little, you won't be with your much. There's this old pastor's joke. Only pastors laugh at this. But I feel like there's enough tension here that I need a little humor right now. Okay? So the, the joke is this, is that a, a guy comes up to his pastor and he says, listen, pastor, I used to make, uh, you know, $100 a week. And when I made $100 a week, I would give 10 because, you know, I'm giving 10% to the church and then, you know, like that. And so and then I got, uh, uh, I got, I, well, I got saved and then I finally got employable and I made $100 a week and I gave 10 to the church and I felt really good about that. And then I made $1,000 uh, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is such a gift. And so I gave $100. So I, I made $1,000 and I gave 100000 And so then I got promoted and I started to make $10,000 a week. And I was like, wow, 10,000. I started to give $1,000 a week to the church. But now I make $100,000 a week. And it's hard for me to every week write a check for $10,000 to the church. He goes, would you pray for me? And the pastor, you know, is a good guy and he loves him. He says, absolutely, come over here. Let me pray for you. And then he closes his eyes. I said, close your eyes. Let's pray. And he said, God, would you reduce my brother's pay so that he could feel comfortable giving you whatever you uh, put on his heart? It's crazy, right? It's crazy, right? You don't want that. None of us want. Here's the thing. God has brought us to himself, and he's given us all. Because remember what our big idea is? No one has ever become poor by giving. No one has ever become poor by giving. We become richer as we become more generous. That's why the Bible can say, sell the Jordan collection. No, not the Jordan collection. Sell the 
sell their entertainment system. No, you know, I, I, I sell the, so, why, why? Because it's okay to have stuff. It's not okay for stuff to have you. Is there anything in your life that you're not willing to sell if God says, sell it? You go, this is so radical. This is so crazy. I can't even, I don't, this is why I don't come to, listen, 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 listen. God doesn't want most of your heart. God doesn't want like 90% of your heart. God doesn't want this part of your heart that says, yeah, God, I'll obey you here, but not over here. No, no, no. God wants all of our hearts. Sell your possessions. Sell your possessions. Give to the poor. And so, all of us, whether you have a lot here or you have almost nothing. I remember I had to experience this. So, in uh, 1999, I had my dream car. It was a Monte Carlo. Unfortunately, it was a 1984 Monte Carlo. And, but it was dope. It wasn't an SS, but it was dope. I loved my Monte Carlo. It, has, it was like a white Monte Carlo with a red interior. I loved my Monte Carlo. I always had dreamt. If you grew up in the same Puerto Rican neighborhood that I grew up in, you knew the Monte Carlo was dope. So I had the Monte Carlo, and I had it for, I want to say, two, maybe three, maybe four years. I don't know. I lose track of time. But I had the Monte Carlo, and there came a point, and I'm not kidding, there came a point where I didn't have enough money to tithe and give to the Lord and pay the insurance on the car. It was about the same. It was about the same. I made about $2,000, $2,300 a month. And the insurance on the car was $200, $230 a month, something like that. I was young and, you know, the insurance was high. And I remember when it dawned on me, I either have to sell this car or I have to stop tithing. I remember when that happened. And it was, listen to me, it was not as painful as you think. I was like, all right. And so for years, we went. I remember um, there was this beautiful, when we started the, the church, there was this beautiful, beautiful guy. His name was Kaz. He had a perfect name. Casanova um, was his name, but we called him Kaz. Kaz would every single time we had a service, and I'm telling you, I had kids. I had a wife. I didn't have a car, but God had me. And God brought Kaz into our lives, and he took us to everything. We had our service on North uh, 6th. Was it North 6th? Yeah, it was North 6th in Berry or Bedford. It was North 6th in Bedford. We were renting the little church there, and we would have our service, and it was the time where I had to kind of do everything. You know, I came in early, and I made the coffee, and then I got up, and I led the... Oh, you should have heard the way I used to lead the worship. You would have been so impressed, Nia. I was just like singing my heart out. It was great. It was awful. But people still came, so I was grateful. And that's why we got Reggie and Nia and Monica and the rest of the team. And so... You don't want to go back to that. And so I, I, I would just play the thing, and then I would take the thing, and then I would, I would make the announcements. And then after the announcements, I would get up, and I would say, now open your Bibles to this passage. And we would open our Bibles to this passage. And then after that, I would counsel people to like 11, 12 o'clock at night, go to bed, and then do it all over again. And Kaz was someone that the Lord brought. The service was in North 6th. Kaz lived in North 5th. He could have 
parked. He could have walked from his house one block. On the north side, that dude never complained. I never once heard him tell me about parking. I never once told God didn't ask him to sell his car. God wanted him to keep his car so that he could serve. Well, no, for more reasons than that, but one of the reasons was he served me and my family with his car, but God asked me to sell my car. He said, sell your possessions and give to the poor. And then I found the poor providing for me. It was beautiful. But that's how God can be trusted. I'm not trying to tell you something I read about. I'm trying to tell you something that I've experienced, that God can be trusted with your stuff. Because you never, no one has ever become poor by giving. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide, and then here's the reason why. You want to know why? Here. Because provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out and a treasure in heaven that will never fail. Here's why. Because purses and treasures, they wear out and they fail. Purses and treasures on this earth wear out and fail. Like, even if you put your money in the bank, your money is losing value because of the rate of um, inflation. You see, it's wearing out. You don't know it, right? But I mean, Well, actually, you might have noticed it recently because inflation has really gone up. But, boy, it wears out. And God is saying, God is saying, don't put your money, don't put your trust, don't put your, your hope in something that's fading. Listen, listen, here's a thought. Since you can't take it with you, why don't you send it on ahead? Since you can't take your money with you, why don't you send it ahead? Send it on ahead. Again, this is not something I want from you. This is something I want for you. I want you to live, you to live a life that is free from being bound. Because money, let me tell you something. Money is a wonderful slave. It's a terrible master. It's awful when you have to do what money says. Money says work overtime because you bought more than you could afford. Oh, well, then you better work that overtime. No, 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 don't you understand? There's a church service that you're going to grow and Jesus is going to speak to you in a powerful way. No, 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 I don't have time for Jesus to speak to me in a powerful way. My Lord, money, has already told me what to do and I know what it is. I have to work overtime to pay for the things that I couldn't afford to impress people that I don't even know. I want us to mature and trust Jesus. And one of the best ways we can mature and trust Jesus is by trusting him with our stuff. Because stuff will fade and stuff will wear out. And then he says in verse 34, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What Jesus is saying here is not that money, giving your money away makes you a Christian. What, the, what Jesus is saying is that when you give your money like this, you're showing evidence that you're a Christian, that you're a follower of Christ. Not, not just giving your money, not everybody who gives their money away is a follower of Christ. I'm talking to Christians now. If, you're, if you say that you're a Christian, then when you start being generous in ways that change you, 
Like there's a, there's a way to give money that makes you feel good, but doesn't change you. Have you ever given somebody $2 on the train? You ever felt good about that? That's beautiful. Do that. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being generous. Now, let me speak to those of you here. And there's a few of you. There's not many of you. Most of you, most of you fall into like my category where we're like, you know, we're doing the best we can with the money that God has given us, but we're not rolling in it. And, and there's not a, many of you here who are rolling in it, if any of you here who are rolling in it. But maybe you will one day. Maybe. Maybe as you pursue your dreams, and as you go to school, and as you go to college, you graduate, you, you make some resources, you're better off than you are now. Don't let money be your slave. I mean, don't let money be your master. Don't let money be your master. For those of you who have resources here, don't let money be your master. Go, God, lead me. And don't do it in a compulsive way, and don't do it, you know, just, but, but be surrendered and go, God, Help me to be generous, really generous, in a way that changes my heart and loosens the grip of greed on my life. Why? Because no one has ever become poor by giving. This is evidence that for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. That's evidence. Where is your heart? If throughout this entire service, it's been like, this is, this is literally going to be one of my shortest sermons. It's under 30 minutes. I'm going to close. And some of y'all have been saying, please, shut this thing down. Shut this thing down. Stop talking. I get it. I totally get it. I'm with you. I'm not stupid. I've been there. I, I've sat in your seat. It's cool. I love you anyway. But here's my point. Here's my point. If it's that much stress talking about money, then something other than Jesus has your heart. That's all I'm saying. And, and, and you go, oh, pastor, you just want us to give to you, um, to give to me. Don't give to me. I absolutely don't want you to give to me. Uh, but you're saying, uh, you just want us to give to this church or something like that. Listen to me, listen to me. If that's what you think, give somewhere else. But make it consistent. Pick a percentage of your, uh, the amount of money you make. You go, oh, pastors only want, great. Then give it to an atheist society. Go ahead. See, the problem isn't who you give it to. The problem is giving it to it at all. Give it, give it to the I Hate Jesus Club and make sure that they're well provided for. You see, watch this. I'm not looking for something from you. I'm trying to point out that money already has a grip, a hook, a claw in your life. And that if you live for it, your heart will shrivel. Because where your treasure is, you'll find your heart roommates. So, how do we do this? This is tough. I don't know. Oh my gosh, please stop talking. I'll try. Listen. Here's three things, three ways you could do this. Just three fast ways. First of all, this text is teaching us nothing else. It's teaching us this. To treat God as your treasure. Treat God as your treasure. Let's start there. 
Start with treating God as our treasure. This thing that I want, that's not my treasure. That's not going to satisfy. That's not going to fulfill. That's not going to... This thing that I want. Listen, I get it. I see all the sales too. I want a new phone. And my phone is really old. So I'm actually getting a new phone, which is kind of hypocritical at this stage, telling you this. But I'm telling you anyway. I'm getting it because my phone is almost dead and I need a, a phone to work. But my point is, is that I get wanting the new phone. I get wanting the new car. I get wanting the new clothes. I get wanting the new everything. I get all that. Listen to me. Before you get the phone, before you get the car, make sure that God is your treasure. Treat God as your treasure. Secondly, this text is teaching us that when we give to others, that when we're generous with the church, that when we start giving, and here's a basic way, you know, you could start with 10%. If that's too much, you know, just go pick a percentage number. For some of you, that 10% is way too low. You got to go higher. For others of you, go lower. It's fine. I'm not hooked on 10%. What I am saying is pick a percent and start being generous. And then, as the years go by, let it grow. Because we're not enriching God, but count God as our riches. You see, when we're generous, we're not enriching God, but we want to count God as our riches. This is how we cultivate a heart. God, make me or rather, make you the treasure of my heart. Now, remember how we've been saying over and over and over again that the big idea for this message is no one has ever become poor by giving? That's a quote from Anne Frank. Anybody remember who Anne Frank is? She wrote the diary of Anne Frank. She was the Jewish girl who uh, was hidden while the Nazis were looking around and then finally... So Anne Frank wrote that as a young lady. That quote is mostly true. It's not always true. It's mostly true. There was, I can think of one time. There was one time where one person became poor by giving away. There was one time. His name was Jesus. And he who was rich, who had everything in the universe, made himself poor so that you who are poor could become rich. There was one time, one time, where he who was whole let himself come from heaven to earth to be broken so that you who are broken could then become rich, healed, whole. There was one time, there was one time where the one who had a home in heaven, heaven was his home, heaven. Think about that. You think your apartment is nice? You think your house is nice? Heaven was his home. And he came and had nowhere to lay his head so that you who are without home in heaven could have a place to call home. There was one time that the one who had everything made himself nothing so that those who are nothing could be made everything in the eyes of the king of the universe. This is not me asking you to do anything that 
I haven't done like I'm the hero here. This is God asking us, me included, to do what he has already done for your sake. And how many people were blessed? How many of you are blessed because Jesus laid down everything so that you could have everything? Beloved. And it's in that spirit that he can say, sell everything. Provide for the poor. Don't make money your God. Because mostly true, for the, at least for the people in this room, is no one has ever become poor by giving. 